Welcome all you plus two comedy modifiers back to the adult fan fiction world championships present Smudif Pen and Kink. What you are about to witness is a cross-promoted uh, event that Plus Two Comedy ran along with the Flying V Theater. And it was a three-day affair. This is part one of our first day. So what you will see is a competition between four fantastic comedians as they write some adult fan fiction that must be in the realm of literature and comic books. And uh, they have performed this for you. And uh, this is just round one. So this is the first half of the show. Round two will be posted at some point in the future. And I would love you if you would please enjoy round one of Smut If Pen and Kink, the adult fan fiction world championships. <clears throat> two legs spread on my bed. And sorry, I could not lick them both. And be just one virgin. Long I stood and looked down as far as I could and soon had my own growth. Then looked at my lover just so fair and being unclaimed was grassy beneath her underwear. Though as far as passing through there, I would never be the same. So, for that morning lay in just my socks of black, oh, I kept my first for another day. And I licked that pussy, for I took the road less traveled. Hello and welcome once again to the Adult Fan Fiction World Championships, the day that we dare to ask the question, Smut If. Today, it's a very special day, for it is our first ever themed show. This is Pen and Kink. All of the adult fan fictions you will be hearing today will be about literature or comic books. And we are partnered up, Plus Two Comedy have partnered up once again with The Flying V to bring you Smut If, the Adult Fan Fiction World Championships, the show that once again risks me losing my Twitch channel for inappropriate content. And I say that because I tried to name this show Smut If in the bar and I got a message back saying, mm, you might be doing something that's against our terms of service. So that's why it just says Fan Fiction World Championships. But we're going to try to get away with this as much as we can. That's what we do here on the show. <laughs> so what you are going to see is two rounds of adult fan fiction. And the first round will be the pre-recorded round. I have five videos of some very funny comedians who wrote about anything they wanted as long as it was under the theme of literature and comic books. And we have the live round 
which are people who are going to be writing based off of your suggestions and they will have the length of the pre-written round to write based off of your suggestion. And we have to start with our pre-recorded round. The way this round works is they were able to record these ahead of time and they were allowed to write about absolutely anything that they wanted. Uh, now, just point of order, point of order, uh, that is it for the wheel tonight. But if you want to see your suggestion on tomorrow's show, which is Innuendo 69, a gaming-themed show, you can donate right now. Or if you want to see something on the horror-themed show, which is called Blood and Butts, which will be taking place on Wednesday. You can donate right now. The link is in the chat, flyingv.thunderticks.com slash campaigns. And if it doesn't fit either of those, we're just going to throw it in horror and be like, you just have to do a horror version of the Food Network, whatever. I assumed you wanted to do the Food Network. I don't know why. But yes, you can still make your donations right now. And of course, you can still donate to enter the raffle. So if you'd like to enter the raffle, do so by clicking, I don't know where the chat is on your screen, <laughs> but click that link that Flying Bee was nice enough to put in there. I am now pulling up our first video for the pre-recorded round. Uh, this is very exciting because I don't know what's about to happen. And that, that always fills me with joy <laughs> when I have no idea what's about to go down. But our first contestant, uh, she's a playwright and scholar and ne'er-do-well based in Houston, Texas. Uh, things that get her hot under the collar include intellectual discords, Adam Driver's hands, and 3,000 thread count sheets. I agree with all of those things. Please give it up for Janelle Walker. Hello, Flying V uh, audience at home, uh, and happy uh, World Championships of Erotic Fan Fiction to you. I'm Janelle Walker. I'm coming to you from the sexiest environment that I could think of, and that is my bed in my home in Houston, Texas. Uh, I'm going to read a little fan fiction for you about two of my um, favorite problematic faves. Uh, and without ado, here it is. Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, loathed staying at the Ritz-Carlton Elsinore. As he sat at the bar, he thought to himself that everyone inside was so pedestrian, so empty, so rich and boring. At least they were stodgy enough to leave him alone. The paparazzi followed him the entire way, so there might be speculating headlines in the morning. No matter. It was the curse of every modern monarchy to be internationally famous and try to come up with a viral social media content from a life of waiting around to procreate and die. But... He absolutely had to clear his mind, and there was no privacy inside the castle. Not with mother weeping and sniveling and pretending to mourn his father. Not with his uncle, father, king, Claudius, and that pathetic Polonius servant of his, always staring at him and trying to figure him out. Worst of all, Polonius was the father of Hamlet's main situationship, Ophelia, and she wouldn't play his games anymore, never letting him dirty talk like, your makeup is lies, and I wish you would join a convent. She even stopped letting Horatio stand in the corner and take notes. Not that it mattered. He scoffed over his overfull glass of scotch. He couldn't even get hard, never mind come. Not since he saw his father's ghost on the balcony a few nights ago. He always thought he would make a great mastermind psychopath serial killer, but like everything else in his life, the theory was more exciting than the action. He needed to kill Claudius, and he needed to get laid. 
That was why he had come to the hotel tonight. She was going to get him out of his head. She had better. Her fee started at $10,000 an hour. Lady Macbeth paraded through the doors of the hotel like a 1980s supermodel with wind and snow from the cold Danish night blowing her hair back. As she strutted in, the blood-red soles of her Christian Lebuton stilettos scuffed on the marble floor, and she gritted her teeth. That familiar rage welled up inside her. It's all worth it, she said to herself. This client was going to be the one who put her over. She always wanted to be queen, and high-profile Hamlet was going to make her queen of the doms. Think of the references. Hamlet knew her as soon as she arrived, clad all in black with an outrageous fur stole. She was perfect. Everything he had wanted from this special arrangement. Lady Macbeth had never worked in existential domination before, but she was titillated at the idea. Her own predilections tended toward ridicule, dread, and manipulation of all kinds, so getting to play with her own desires inside this structure was not just a job. This one would be fun. The prince extended his hand to her and shook it firmly. You can call me Lady M she said. I thought you would have more of a Scottish brogue, Lady M. Flying a woman of your expertise in from abroad is well within my means, but I was a bit of aroused at the idea of an accent. Well, she retorted back, I was raised in the States and spent some time in Texas. Anyway, never mind about the accent. It isn't important. Let's get to your room. When they reached Hamlet's royal penthouse suite, Lady M was quick to lay out the toys she brought. One copy of Being in Nothingness by Jean-Paul Sartre, a playlist solely comprised of the Berliner Philharmonic performing Thus Spoke Zarathustra, and a mirror engraved around its edges with the words, We All Die. Hamlet was thrilled and his investment was already paying off. This woman truly understood his kink. Now, your royal highness, uh, please, just call me your highness. Lady Macbeth snarled at the cheek, putting her in her place when her rightful place is on a throne of some kind. Maybe his. As previously agreed, your safe word is Yorick, and the scene will proceed in three stages. Light existential dread, restrained existential torture, and finally some nihilistic nothings whispered in your ear to close the evening. Afterwards, I will see you through some aftercare, read you some Sartre, and send you to bed after you give me the rest of my fee. Is that still agreeable? Yes, please. I just need to get out of my head, Hamlet said. It was then that Lady McBee realized she had a golden opportunity on her hands. Oh, what's on your mind? We aren't starting the scene yet. I still need to set up. Well, as you know, my father died. The whole world knows. And you are next in line for the throne? I was. Ah, I see. There's just something I have to... Well, I shouldn't be talking about this. Not to worry. It's time for us to begin. Are you ready? Yes. Get on your knees. As Hamlet kneeled, Lady McBee stroked his face and began, Life is inherently meaningless. Yes, he whispered back. You are nothing, and you contemplate every part of your stupid existence before an indifferent universe. God, yes, as Hamlet reached for his zipper, Lady M slapped his hand away. No, no, you ask to suffer first. Yes, Lady M. Good. Now, you made plans to change the world that cannot be changed by you because everything you do is pointless and without consequence. Is that right? Yes, Lady M. Because what can you do to change your fate, Hamlet, Prince of Denmark? You are impotent, worthless. That's not true. He began to cry. Oh, isn't it? What do you think you can do, you quintessence of dust? 
you end point for the age of man? What are you going to do about this godforsaken world that is only waiting for the inevitable heat death of the universe? I, I, I have a plan. Oh, do you? Do you have a big plan that is going to change everything? Yes, yes, God, yes. I'm going to kill the king, but I can't bring myself to do it. I, I, I'm worthless. I'm meaningless. Everything I do is... Suddenly, Lady M tied a blindfold over Hamlet's eyes and led him to an armchair where she restrained his hands and ankles. What are you going to do now, Prince of Denmark? Philosopher never to be king? Oh, God, I'm going to wait around the castle. Yes, you are. And I'm going to do nothing. Yes, and I'm going to contemplate my miserable existence. And you are going to let me kill the king. Wh what? Say it, you naughty boy. If you can't do it yourself, then I suppose I'll have to do it for you. Is that it? Pathetic. Y yes. God, yes. Do it for me. I'll sneak into his chambers at night and show you how truly pointless your life is. Yes, please. And I will kill the king and be your queen. Oh, God, would you? Oh, yes. Please, Lady M, can you free my right hand so I can touch myself? You're permitted. Lady M untied Hamlet's restraints to let him reach into his pants, pull out his penis, and masturbate as she carried on about her plan. She whispered in his ear, I will stab him in the night just to show you how easy it would be for anyone but you. Yes! Hamlet was so close to coming for the first time since he saw his father's ghost. You worthless revenger. Failure of a prince. You need me to prop you up, don't you? I do, Lady M! You need me to kill the king. Say it. I need you to kill the king. Louder. I need you to kill the king. Oh, God, I could be bounded in a nut. Suddenly, many things happened at once. Unbeknownst to Hamlet or Lady M, Polonius had snuck into Hamlet's suite to spy on the young prince and had been watching the entire scene unfold. He had the misfortune of standing just in the perfect break in the curtain so that Hamlet's stream of semen was aimed right at his face. Hamlet, no! In the heat of the moment, normally composed Lady M was startled as Polonius stepped out from behind the curtains to avoid Hamlet's sticky ejaculation. Without thinking, she grabbed the dagger on her thigh, always on her for protection, and stabbed. Oh, I am slain! Was it the king? Lady M said with hope. Remove my blindfold! What is happening? Hamlet said. Blood still on her hands, Lady M removed Hamlet's blindfold to reveal Polonius's bleeding corpse. Fucking Polonius. Not the king, but my uncle's faithful servant. The two stopped still, both unsure of how the other would react. Well, Lady Macbeth said, that's what he gets for being a voyeur without consent. Hamlet laughed and shook wildly with del delight. Lady M was surprised by this mad behavior, but delighted to see that this feckless little prince might actually have what it takes to be king and to make her queen. <sighs> Untie me, Yorick. Covering him in Polonius's blood, Lady M set out a plan while she untied Hamlet. We will blame the murder on someone low-ranking in the castle. Oh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Sure. Great. And then, when the heat dies down, I will sneak into the castle one night, we will incapacitate the guards, and then I will kill the king. My god, Hamlet said. You are magnificent. 
He looked at her with admiration as all the pieces for his life started to fall into place and move forward with a speed for the first time. First things first, Lady M said firmly. We need to wash our hands. Thank you. <laughs> the the hand-washing joke slayed me. <laughs> Janelle Walker, everybody. Tease in the chat. Tease in the chat. Fantastic. Oh, I did not, I did not see where that was going. <laughs> Fantastic work. Uh, if I have not made this clear, we will have a poll at the end of, the, of this round uh, where you will vote for who you believe is the champion of the pre-recorded round. Will it be Janelle Walker or will it be our next contestant? Our next contestant is a podcaster. By the way, we have a bunch of podcasters on the show. None of them named their podcast. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. A podcaster, a writer, and filmmaker out of California, by way of the D.C. metro area. She is also a fan fiction vet with more fandoms under her belt to count. Her podcast, she did include her podcast. I just, I totally just lied. <laughs> Introspectual focuses on nerds talk and nerd shit through social justice lens. You can follow her on Twitter right now at Introspectional. Please give it up for Letitia Jones. Hello. Didn't see you there. Welcome. I'm so happy that you're here to join me. I am Letitia, and I am here to share with you a previously unheard of story of Jane Austen's famous characters, Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy. Now, the story takes place after Pride and Prejudice, so after they are married, and they have been together for several years at this point. The story is called The Wonders of Bath. I hope you enjoy it. Elizabeth breathed in the gentle sea air and smiled. The spa town of Bath was everything she would thought it would be. And with the finances of Pemberley at her disposal, she was excited for the chance to experience all the decadence that this town had to offer. While she did enjoy her home in Pemberley, she reveled in the opportunity to have new experiences and meet new people. And being the most sociable one between herself and her husband, she considered it a personal accomplishment whenever she could get him off of his family grounds. She turned to her significant other from her place in the carriage and chuckled to herself. His perpetual scowl never ceased to amuse her. Darling, must you frown so severely? You're scaring the children, she chided. My dear, we left the children back at Pemberley. I shall frown as much as I please, he countered. And, he continued, I would assume that you would know better by now that this is my thinking place. And what, may I ask, prompted such deep contemplation? His eyes slid to her as he made a slow, nearly lascivious perusal of her body, as if he could see her nakedness through her layers of clothes. Mr. Darcy, she exclaimed in mock offense. We're in public. We're in a carriage. And you at multiple times throughout this trip, will be in public, sans corset, letting the water caress the exquisite curves of your body. Even, and even as your husband, propriety will not allow me near you. Thus, I am entitled to my frown. Elizabeth laughed again, but with a layer of heat and interest underneath it that wasn't there before. 
Mr. Darcy, you had me this morning. And you expect me to be satisfied? Darcy asked and made his way closer to her. Need I remind you that when we married, we barely left our chamber for a week, and that was before the official honeymoon. Darcy took Elizabeth's hand and gently removed her glove as he continued. You can't expect me to be satisfied with swimming on the men's side of the beach when I could be on, over, under, or inside you, he finished, and leaned in to kiss and suck our neck so thoroughly that it was sure to leave a mark. Elizabeth shuddered at her husband's words and actions that excited her just as much as the night that he became hers. In fact, his intentions had us seriously considering opening his trousers and, and having her way with him right then and there. Then suddenly, he pulled away. Elizabeth barely stopped herself from letting out a small whimper. But my wife wants to go for a swim, so I have ample cause to frown, he said, and returned to his side of the carriage, keeping her glove as a prize. Elizabeth stared at him agape frustrated and torn between wanting to tear his clothes off and wanting to tear him apart limb from limb. Staring at her husband, she sneered. I hate you. I know, darling, Darcy smiled, but let's enjoy the scenery, shall we? It was then and there that Elizabeth Darcy Nee Bennett decided that Le Petit de Mort was not good enough for her husband. No, he would die an enormous death and thank her for it and he should know by now that nothing could stop Elizabeth when she was on a mission. And she was on a mission to make, Ms. To make Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy beg. Fast forward. Elizabeth considered her plan carefully as she observed the men before her. Her husband's scowl was decidedly severe as he seemed to regret every choice he ever made that put him in this position. George Wickham, on the other hand, recently freed from his husbandly obligations, reveled in the chance to make Darcy uncomfortable by showering his wife with compliments that skirted the line of impropriety, but never quite crossed it. She encouraged the attention with little giggles and soft touches on her husband's arm that she knew was driving Darcy mad. With the hook firmly baited, she decided that they had, en had had enough foreplay and it was time to get to the heart of her scheme. So George, she said, shocking both her husband and their companion with her informal and familiar address. I've always wanted to know more about my husband's time at university. I always felt his stories were censored for delicate ears, she said, and leaned across the table to Wickham. But what he doesn't seem to realize is that I've never been delicate. And being that I know that he is a man of the world, I expect he has had a diverse and colorful history. Wickham darted his eyes to Darcy. Besides the tarse breeding, he hadn't, he hadn't made eye contact with him, and this is the first time he had tried. Darcy was shocked into stillness at his wife's audacity. Well, I, Wickham started, keeping his attention on Darcy. George, Elizabeth interrupted. I asked the question. Wickham looked at Elizabeth with rarely seen reluctance. What do you want to know? How intimately did you know my husband? Very. And when you antagonize him, 
Do you think about how delicious your punishment would be at his hand? As I do. Elizabeth, Wickham whispered as memories started to flash through his consciousness. Elizabeth gently but secretly stroked her husband's lower abdomen, never touching his member, but clearly intending to drive him mad with frustration. Because my husband holds on so tightly to the rules of society that when you finally get him to break, it's like passion takes over his body and it's elemental, Wickham said. Raw, Elizabeth added. All consuming. Wickham finished with a barely noticeable but present tremble in his voice. Elizabeth let a wicked smile cross her face. So you do know. Yes. Elizabeth turned to Darcy, who to anyone else seemed as stoic and unaffected, but she was well-trained in reading her husband's micro-expressions, the pace of his breathing, the shift in his seat, and most especially the clenching and unclenching of his hands. He was barely keeping it together. Darling, should we take George home with us? For if he longs for you as I do, must drive him mad to be so close to the object of his affection, she said, as she lowered her hand, and unable to touch. Darcy swallowed. And what about you? Elizabeth gave Wickham a once-over. I must confess, I've always wondered what I was missing. Surely you wouldn't deny me, dear husband. Never, he said and looked at Wickham with an old fire in his eyes that Wickham recognized. Let him come. A different woman might have been hesitant about sharing intimacies with the passionate men before Elizabeth. But there was one thing that Darcy always loved about his wife was her extensive love of books and a clever way that, he, that she applied her knowledge. It was after they were married that he learned that that love extended to tomes that were erotic in nature as well. And since becoming a married woman, her interest in that subject had only grown, much to his delight. So it was no surprise when the moment the door closed behind the threesome, Elizabeth pulled him in for a deep, dark kiss that was equal parts possession and surrender. He pulled her in close, one hand buried in her hair and the other at her waist and momentarily forgot about Wickham's presence in the room. Deepening the kiss, he reached for her hair and pulled out the pins holding her hairstyle in place. She smiled into the kiss as she felt her hair loosen. You always do that, she said as he continued his handiwork. Like her hair, my Eliza is a beautiful force of nature that deserves he said as he pulled out the last pen, letting her hair fall across her back, to be free. Liar, you like it because it reminds you when I came to Netherfield. Just so, he said, and spun her around so that her ass was up against his trousers and they were both facing George Wickham. George, Darcy said with a gentleness Wickham hadn't heard in ages. Do you know the story? No, well, come here. And let me tell you, Darcy said, and leaned down to kiss Elizabeth's neck and while his hand was on her waist and secured her to him, and his other hand trailed up her body, possessively grabbing her bosom. Elizabeth moaned in pleasure and leaning her head to give him more access. Wickham stepped up to the pair, oddly nervous as if this was a dream. 
and it was inches away from Elizabeth. She looked up at him and smiled. Nandasi lifted up his head, reached up and pulled with him into a passionate kiss that he felt in his whole body. While he was distracted, Elizabeth unbuttoned Wickham's trousers and let her hand slip underneath his clothes, gently stroking his dick. Wickham broke the kiss with a hiss as, she felt, as he felt her hand on him. Naughty, naughty, Lizzie, Darcy chided, and then made quick work of the buttons along her back. Elizabeth licked her palm and then returned to stroking Wickham's cock. You taught me well, she said. Perhaps too well, Wickham said with his eyes closed and his jaw clenched, feeling her hand twisting and caressing him. Suddenly he opened his eyes, all hesitation gone, and dove in, kissing Elizabeth for all he was worth. Wickham's kisses were passionate, yet teasing, intense, but playful. He was a true games master, and Elizabeth was looking forward to playing. You're wearing too many clothes, Elizabeth, Darcy said, his voice husky. Elizabeth broke the kiss and leaned back against her husband. Perhaps our friend can help with that. I would suggest he starts at the bottom, she said. Yes, ma'am, Wickham said and got down on his knees following her orders. Elizabeth lifted up her arms, allowing Darcy to lift her dress over her head, and next came her petticoat as she suddenly gasped. What is he doing to you? Darcy asked as he started to untie her short corset. He's, uh, he's taking off my stockings. I think he lifts his fingers and he's stroking me. She finished finally. Just returning the favor, Mrs. Darcy, Wickham said, continuing to tease her. Darcy looked over Elizabeth's shoulder and looked down at Wickham. She looked just like this when she came to Netherfield. I did not. Elizabeth started to deny, but Darcy removed her short corset and started to grab both her breasts again, teasing her nipples with his, with his thumbs. Her last layer, her loose, barely modest shift was the only thing keeping her from complete nakedness as the men continued to work her body. Darcy pulled her back to them, letting her feel his erection along her backside. After miles in the countryside, after walking miles in the countryside, her hair was wild, cheeks flushed, stockings muddied. He continued as his hands wandered. She looked like she had just been fucked in the forest. Elizabeth let out a moan at the moment that her husband uttered those vulgar words and Wickham's fingers entered her even more deeply. Go on, Wickham encouraged to both of them. All I could think about for all those nights we were under the same roof was is this what she would look like when she finally comes apart? When she's so full of pleasure that she can't take it anymore. Wild, free, and with strength and stamina to make me work for it. Darcy finished. Wickham continued to stroke her, making Elizabeth whimper. You took yourself in your hand that night? Every night and morning. Elizabeth finally broke. Oh God, you two, stop teasing me. Wickham smiled, and for the first time, it was a smile that Darcy shared. He nodded. And Wickham lifted up her skirt, lifted up her leg over his shoulder, and started eating her out with wild abandon. Elizabeth's words and moans were almost unintelligible as she came apart at the seams on Wickham's talented tongue. He's, I don't, just let it happen, sweetheart. You know how much I love watching you come. 
with that last bit of encouragement, Elizabeth let herself fall apart, coming hard as Wickham lapped up her essence. She was still bent on her scheme of revenge against her husband, but she hadn't expected Wickham to be this good. Apparently, his sexual talents were no exaggeration. And as she leaned back dreamy-eyed on her husband, she took in his barely sustained passion in his eyes that was just about to break through the surface. Oh yes, tonight would be memorable indeed. Just as soon as she regained feeling in her legs, she looked up at her husband and smiled. Happy anniversary. The end. Woo! We, we are seeing a lot of men begging tonight, which is not something I was prepared for, but lots of teas in the chat for Letitia Jones. We have, who? and if you're watching on YouTube, welcome back. You should have been here live because you missed something. <laughs> so once again, we will vote after everyone from this round is gone, and uh, we will put a poll in the chat so please give it up for your next contestant. Uh, they are a Baltimore-born, Denver-based, beeper of boops, rappers of raps, and Twitch streamer. Please give it up for Damseline. No, wrong. I pushed the wrong thing, and I'm sorry. Lady in Red by Celine. Genius-level engineer, world-class doctor of science, frequent supervillain, and one-time presidential candidate, Thursday Rubenstein has no shortage of experience. Being more machine than woman, with her entire head replaced by a glossy orb-shaped organic supercomputer that can take any form, from faces to weapons to concussive shots of pure energy, the defender's level threat most often referred to as Ruby Thursday, has been in a lot of difficult situations. Situations involving more setbacks than success. Situations that ended with her practically dead, requiring her to have a new body built and a backup of her mind restored. One way or another, those situations she could handle. One thing she simply could not handle, however, was waiting. Ruby hated being forced to wait, especially in public spaces more than anything she had been through her entire life. Waiting, however, is exactly what she was doing that night. Her back firmly pressed into the northeastern corner of Gotham Mini Storage's rooftop in Hell's Kitchen. It's certainly smaller than I expected, she remarks between melodramatic groans, ending the brief respite from staring through the pitch black fixated on the boredom that gripped her. Losing interest in the brief distraction, Ruby closes the thin plastic case she had been peering into and firmly tucks it in between her breasts. Near instantaneously, as soon as her senses catch the oncoming rush of sound brought on by a projectile approaching at rapid speeds across the roof of the building, wings slide out the side of Ruby's head, yanking her into the air just in time for a billy club to strike the brick wall behind her. By the time local attorney by day, street-level superhero Daredevil by night, Matt Murdock is able to retract the cable attached to his weapon, 
Her feet are firmly planted to his side, her fists clenched, and her head is no longer supporting a pair of wings, but rather four rapidly expanding tentacles flying toward with unbridled aggression. Murdoch is no stranger to conflict either, and quickly steps into the light, fully confident and prepared to subdue Thursday. I'll be honest, I didn't expect to find the headman operating in Hell's Kitchen, much less on a Monday night, shot Matt through an arrogant smile, knocking back a pair of tentacles darting downward toward his face before transitioning into a backflip, into a roundhouse kick that throws dust in the air as it narrowly misses Ruby's head, landing with force on the ground beside her. Oh, please. I'm even less interested these days in holding on to professional relationships with such inept man-children as I am bantering my way through an exposition dump with a B-list vigilante, a filthy rooftop, in the middle of this tedious city, Ruby barks back as the other two tentacles slip between the clubs, one narrowly missing Matt's jaw, the other clipping his shoulder, weakening his stance for just a moment. I'm not sure I need too much backstory, Ruby, grunts Matt as he swings both ends of the billy club to create some space between himself and the frenzied appendages before him. I already got a decent idea after finding a very confused Dr. McPhail tied up in the closet of a completely trashed apartment covered in your scent. I can't imagine that was a compact mirror you were just enamored with. How trite, Red, returns Ruby, taking a subtle step back bracing herself as all four tentacles are pulled, just enough to clear the space immediately filled by a torrent of pure force energy. And I don't care what you think you know. Murdoch is barely able to dodge the blast, to the point that he entirely misses a fifth tentacle coiling around the outside of his leg and then slamming him into the ground. Almost right away, a sudden overwhelming sensation hits Matt as he maneuvers back to his feet, the tentacle Ruby snuck in gripped tighter, continuing the grapple against her prey's efforts to escape. It continued climbing further up the leg, thrashing about. It managed to slip just far enough up the back of Murdoch's thigh, the very tip forcefully landing in a manner Daredevil would never have assumed to enjoy on such a visceral level. Completely thrown off guard by this unexpected sensation, Matt almost completely missed the second force blast until it had just about landed directly on his abdomen. Quickly snapping back into the present, Matt reacts as fast as he can, bounding to the side and whipping his billy club so it bounces off a nearby wall and smacks Ruby in the sternum. After her less-than-graceful landing, definitely feeling every inch of the stretch of his belly button to the back of his thigh, where Ruby's energy attack had torn right through his suit and bruised his skin, Daredevil happens to be positioned just right to sense the plastic case as it's knocked out of Ruby's cleavage and catching it right before it hits the ground, stashing the case in a small pouch on his belt while rolling back onto his feet just in time to counter another incoming tentacle with his club. Ruby is quick to react, splitting said tentacle in two, with one quickly coiling around the club and the other darting downward to the pouch, which Matt only just now notices, is sliding right off the belt, toward where the previous energy blast had torn right through it. The two continued to trade blows, fumbling the package back and forth. Murdoch was not used to being this consistently on the defense, 
because he didn't usually make this many mistakes in succession. But after managing one more misstep, Thursday was able to again ensnare one of his legs and knock him to the ground again, this time causing him to drop his club just outside of reach. As Ruby regrips, the tentacle again puts pressure along the top back of Matt's thighs, this time against bare skin as the tip lands within the tear in his uniform, catching just the right spot in the right way that it elicited an involuntary but blatantly obvious reaction to the resulting sensation. Ruby immediately notices that Murdoch is more than just distracted, and it's not hard to deduce the cause when the bulge between his legs is swelling that quickly. Normally so calm and collected, Tonight, the man without fear is found in a near panic, unsure how to react. Oh, well, Red, this is certainly an unexpected twist. Ruby's head starts to emit a bright crimson glow as six more tentacles form, the first two quickly pinning Daredevil's wrists to the ground, a second pair gripping the insides of his knees and thrusting them apart, the fifth sliding under the small of his back, forcing him to arch upward, as the final appendage splits in three, with two ends landing on either side of Matt's groin, and the third tugging playfully to expand the tear running across his side. Dear God, Matt, what are you doing? The thought had barely even had a chance to complete in his mind before the tentacles moving about his groin suddenly pushed deep against his skin, coiling rhythmically and massaging into places that no one has ever touched, especially not like this. Oh, you do like that, don't you, Red? Even without visible facial expressions, Ruby's smirk was very much present in the tone of her voice as a pair of tentacles gently pull apart Matt's buttocks, while a third is slowly pushing inside of him, the molecules on the surface of which meticulously manipulated to move about in a more fluid sense, acting as a lubricant. With very little hesitation, she quickly thrusts the tentacle into Matt, while slowly mounting the base of the diverging appendages now between his legs, still being pulled apart to give her better access. As he is pushed backward, Matt is suddenly in reach of his billy club, which he instinctively grabs, momentarily breaking from the grip on his right wrist and positioning in such a way that he could easily manage a deciding strike before relaxing again and dropping the club at his side. What am I doing? Why do I feel so powerless? The now freed tentacle wraps around his shoulder, aggressively flipping him over to his stomach as the rest of the tentacles slide around the daredevil, pulling both of their bodies into a better position for Ruby to pick up the pace of her thrusting, enthusiastically grinding herself against the main tentacle branch and still controlling the rest of her various appendages that are massaging Matt's groin and entering deep into that ass. It's now that Matt hears the sound of the case hitting the ground, having again become dislodged from between Ruby's breasts. Focused on grinding and thrusting, she does not appear to notice as Matt subtly tucks it under the back of his glove before flinching in pleasure and dropping to his right shoulder, laying the side of his face into the filthy rooftop as Ruby pushes harder and harder with every motion. 
As Matt's ecstasy level climbs and his body starts to tighten involuntarily, Ruby's tentacles push further up the front of his crutch, tearing the suit halfway up the abdomen, exposing the rock-hard dick that they are rapidly coiling around while rubbing up and down with varying pressure. Jesus, how many of these things can she make, Matt thinks, or possibly even says out loud, as yet another pair of tentacles slither up his shirt, pressing firmly into both of his nipples before suddenly expelling short bursts of electrical energy, immediately triggering Matt's anal floor to rapidly pulsate. It's not that Matt doesn't know his body well enough to know what's about to happen, but it's never felt quite like this. The tentacle inside of him jabbing hard into his prostate, and another that had been deeply massaging into his perineum, also deliver gentle electrical shocks as he is brought to the most intense orgasm he's ever had. Come bursting from his cock with a force Matt would never have thought possible, saturating the front of his shredded pants, soaking the inside bits of his shirt that dangles before his thighs and splashing upward against his lower abdomen. After slowly withdrawing all of her tentacles, each playfully caressing Matt's skin along the way, thoroughly wiping off cum on any bits of fabric they cross, <laughs> Ruby giggles a bit as wings appear on the top of her head and start to lift her into the air. Well, that was certainly an unexpected but entirely welcomed way to kill some time, Red, snickered Ruby. Though the fact that you were apparently so comfortable with just lying there couldn't even be bothered to put that fancy stick of yours to any reciprocal use. Kind of affirms that my existing plans involve a much better way to spend my time and energy. This is as good a time as any, babe. Shit, not again. The thought had barely even finished shooting across Murdoch's mind before the oncoming rush of sound brought about by a figure approaching at hundreds of miles an hour across the roof of the building suddenly morphs into an entirely different sensation, that of her ramming, energized baton right through his face, throwing his half-naked body thirty feet back into an opposing wall and nearly knocking him unconscious. Struggling to keep his head up and his eyes open, Matt slides from a labored cough into a bit of a self-deprecating laugh. How <laughs> many times got to be this slow to react tonight? More than enough, Red. Significantly more than enough. <laughs> Good luck getting yourself cleaned up before you find yourself having to explain to Spider-Man or Cage or whoever why you're hunched over and covered in your own cum, shouted Ruby as she descended, the wings flanking her dome-shaped head, shrinking until disappearing completely as she gently nestled into Joystick's arms. You got the chip, right? I'm a little tired of being down a gauntlet. Of course I got the chip, Jan. You know how much I love when you use both batons. As she is pulling a small clamshell case out of a concealed pocket at the side of her waist, the last of Ruby's head tentacles stops just short from retracting completely to gently caress Janet Yanazensky's face. You know, I hate it when you call me Jan, you brat. Drops out of the, the former Thunderbolt smile. The first and last time this evening, Matt Murdock actually catches a measured perception of her face, just a split second before the pair drops over the side of the building and speeds off into the entrance of the Lincoln Tunnel. Wait a second. If that was... The hero's forced smirk quickly falls aside as he fumbles an identical case out of his glove and frantically pries it open. Inside, Daredevil finds a single torn piece of lined paper and the words, Nice try, Red. But next time, 
maybe do better, written across it in red ink. Comics! I was so afraid we were not going to get any comics. <laughs> and we finally got some comics. I was afraid Garfield would be our only comics. But yes, tease in the chat for damn Celine. Uh, fantastic work, but we got one more, and this one just came in. This is hot off the presses, so hopefully the video works, because I did not have time to test it. But if this is just a black screen for three minutes, I apologize. <laughs> but, oh, let's see if I can even find where it's saved. Here we go. All right, so this will be our final contestant in the pre-written round, and then we will be voting on who is the winner of the pre-written round of the Adult Fan Fiction World Championships. Our final contestant in this round is a writer, humorist, producer, and science fiction com commuter, commentator, sorry, my ink ran out on this, <laughs> who is in the Washington Post once called a biological entity. Ooh. The producer of the cult classic tipsy lecture series Nerd Night DC, Please give it up for Ray Pentagrass. Wrong button again, I apologize. The Hitchhiker's Guide to Last Minute Submission by Eli Thunder. Delirious crazed cheers filled the crowded stadium on Talon 5, the most exclusive and private planet on the cigar galaxy, if not the known universe, as a gigantic throbbing otherworldly genital, a human cock thrust into being through the void above them. The cock in question was attached to Zaphod Beeblebrox, best known as the former president of the galaxy, the inventor of the pangalactic gargle blaster, and according to a paper recently released by the Intergalactic Therapist Guild, the least emotionally intelligent being in the history of existence. It is said that there is no greater pleasure in our or any known universe than Talon sex. And in fact, the reality that we live in now is in large part so buggy because existence itself had to be emergency rebooted after the Talons tried their hand at releasing porn, which simultaneously destroyed the celestial economy and made everybody really just super thoroughly depressed about how inadequate their sex life was. So they just quit everything. Except for, of course, the asexuals who had a lovely time of running everything for a while, but they eventually grew tired of everyone pouting and whining and being all sad and boring. So they decided it would just be easier to turn everyone off and then on again, as it were. The crowd on Talon 5 was now thrumming, dancing and cheering as the evocative music of the Talon Symphony vibrated the air with orgasmic pulses tied to the movements of the human cock thrusting into and out of existence as somewhere far away, it slid into the genital warp portal that lay nested between the legs of their interworld ambassador. It wasn't Zaphod's charm or fame that had won over his lover. It was his ship. Talons, 
have a notorious fetish for space history, and Zephod had managed to get his hands on the most phenomenal relic. It was instantly recognizable to any collector, a legend. A small ship with a thick, long white cylinder leading to a prominent head exactly in the shape of a cock. One of the last aircraft created on Zephod's own home planet, Earth. A perfect symbol of that final era of humanity where the rich knew they were absolutely fucking the planet and they didn't care how unsatisfying it would be for everyone else, they were gonna get off and head into space, I guess. I don't know. Fuck, this is the worst thing I have ever written, the author, Eli Thunder, thought as he banged his head furiously against the keyboard he'd just been using to write erotica about Douglas Adams and Jeff Bezos and a magical black hole pussy. I have never sunk so low in my entire life, he thought. With a practice motion, he selected all the text, deleted it, and stared desperately into the blank page in front of him. The blank page stared back, unimpressed, almost taunting him. He tabbed over to the email from his editor, four large words staring back at him in large, unfriendly, pixelated letters. Due today at five. Thunder stared for a moment longer and then finally released his breath, his body sinking back into the chair with relief, the weight of his own expectations oozing off of him. He was done fighting it. As much fun as he had been having trying to resist this deadline, he knew that was just foreplay, just a warm up before he settled into the role he preferred, the role he felt that felt so right every time he had the opportunity to languish in it. He knew exactly what he wanted right now. His heart raced as the thrill of giving in rushed over his body. His skin was on fire with electric anticipation. Every atom in his body aligned to focus on the submission he now felt rushing over him, ready to consume him. He had so much tension built up in him. He knew that he was giving in too soon. He wished he could have started earlier, that this could have gone on longer, but really the reality, the intensity, the need for release or relief was building too quickly. He tabbed back to the blank page, control Zing his way back, his work back into being his cheeks blushing furiously as he looked over the flawed human attempt at expression he had created. His cheeks were red, his eyes bright with vulnerability and anticipation, need. He returned to his editor's email, attached the file and waited for just a moment, daring himself not to go any further, testing his own willpower time and breath stopping for one precious last second of sweet, delicious resistance before he submitted. More men submitting. <laughs> Give it up, Ray, in the chat. Lots of teas in the chat as we bring our pre-written round to a close. Uh, Navi will be dropping a link in the chat, and that will be our poll where you can vote. 
and we'll bring Navi back in in a second. Uh, and uh, so you can vote. Uh, yeah, there's the poll. It's there. Navi will be joining me in just a second, as once I figure out how to click all the thingies. There we go. All the thingies have been clicked. Uh, but vote right now on what you think was the best. Are you going to go with Hamlet? Are you going to go with Pride and Prejudice? Are you going to go with the Dick Book? Are you going to go with Daredevil? Or will you go with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Hi, Navi! I am back. That was I good. Think we mentioned this. What are our contestants playing for today? The contestants are playing. Thank you for asking, Noah. Our mm -hmm. contestants are playing for a fabulous prize of $50. So uh, if you want your person to win, go vote now. This, there are stakes. There's money. There's actual prizes. I'll drop the link again. Here's me dropping the link yeah, again. Keep dropping that link. Yeah, they are also winning, uh, I believe, some lube. Yes. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that one of our sponsors is Uber Lube. Yes. Uh, you will be winning some Uber Lube as well. Um, please go vote. Please, please help one of these lucky people get lubricants. Yeah, that's 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 the dream. I, you know, I've been performing for like 15 years now, and I've never won lube. So make someone's dream come true today and vote right now for your favorite fan fiction. How long do we want to hold this voting for? A couple moments. Enough couple time of moments. Go, go, go. Of our sponsors. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We can talk about our sponsors again. Well, we can talk about Sugar, SugarTheShop.com. Thank you again to them for sponsoring us. Uh, please go purchase things there. They're a wonderful shop based out of uh, Flying V's local area. But since we have people from all over the, wor the world, the U.S., go to SugarTheShop.com. Um, they've got the sex-positive attitude. They're lesbian-owned. They, they're very uh, community and uh, sex-positive focused. There's a lot of good things I can say about Sugar the Shop. But... Please go check them out. Check out Uberlube, yeah, Flying V, Plus Two Comedy. We're doing this three nights in a row. If you're enjoying this, we got a whole new slew of contestants for the, each night, the next two nights. Yeah. So uh, I think we've plugged a lot of things. Do you have the results of the poll? I uh, So yes, I do. I have a bit of an issue, though. We have a tie. What do oh, we do we, with ties? We tend to have ties here on the show. So, uh. so we currently have a tie, so we'll, we'll push one more time for someone. One more push. If you haven't voted, go vote now. We have a, we have a tie going on, and we need we need your votes right now on it. So throw, throw that link in the chat one more time. I'm gonna throw that link in the chat one more time. Give me a second to pull up the chat. It's a nail biter. We did Hold one on. show where we had a four way tie. Everybody won but one person. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> F in the chat for that, that person. <laughs> it was rough. That's it was a rough one. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me let me refresh this and see where we're at. Just think about winning that raffle and winning the uh, $50 gift certificate to Flying V. And think of how many names that would put on the wheel next time we do this show. Think about that. All right. Um, so I think we have a winner oh, looking at this current. Looking we're at closing the current. the poll. Yeah, we we are looking at the poll and looking at the votes. We have a clear winner at this point. Do we want to close the poll? Let's close the poll. Poll closed. No more voting. Done no votes. More voting. Vote is ended. All right. And the winner tonight of the pre-recorded uh, with 
33.3% of the victory pie. Um, Ray Pendergrass for Hitchhiker's Guide. Hitchhiker's Guide. Hey, tease in the chat for Ray. Tease in the chat. I think that's how we came up with it. It was the closest to clapping in my brain. Yeah, congratulations to all the participants. It was pretty close, which is why we had to get a few more votes in, because there was a lot of tieage going on. Ray, we'll be in contact with you afterwards to get your information so that we could send you your prize money and your lube and all of that fun stuff. Um, and again, congratulations. Thank you all so much uh, to the pre-recorded entries who were submitted. Um, we will be doing this again. Yes, obviously. yes, we will. So we will be sure tomorrow. to reach out to you. <laughs> now they're going to use it to make a slip and slide. That's another good point. Uh, another good reason to win this. And that's going to do it for the first round of Smudith Pen and Kink, the Adult Fan Fiction World Championships. Thank you so much for watching or listening along. You can watch this on YouTube and subscribe there, or you can listen to this over on Spotify and Stitcher and iTunes and carry it with you. So whichever way you chose to enjoy this, thank you so much. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you are currently enjoying this stay doomed we'll return in january and i will see you all next time and until next time stay doomed boop